Hi, and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with David Bousseau, author, speaker, social capitalist. He's also uh, the Senior Australian of the Year for 2008 and the Australian Entrepreneur of the Year in 2003 and most well-known to be the founder of Opportunity International. Welcome to History Makers, David. Morning, Matt. How are you? Good. Now, that was a mouthful. You, you've been very busy. <laughs> uh, I've had a pretty full life, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, uh, I've heard you speak a number of times and uh, have been inspired uh, by the, uh, the microfinance work you do and the uh, social capitalism you're involved with, as you like to call it. Uh, let's find out a bit about your story. Uh, I know uh, I heard quite a bit of your story on Australian Story on ABC, a uh, very inspiring interview, uh, and you shared a bit about your upbringing uh, in an orphanage in New Zealand. There was lots of things surrounding that. Do you want to tell us about your upbringing? Um, I, had, I had a pretty blessed upbringing um, when I think about it. Uh, I was abandoned by my parents at a reasonably early age um, and, and spent uh, most of my childhood in boys' homes. And... Uh, uh, I, you know, on reflection, I can see how the um, the environment that I brought up and the conditioning that we had there uh, really were were preparing me for the ultimate purpose of um, being on the planet. So um, I look back, and yeah, at, at times there were some you know, painful and uncomfortable experiences. Um, you know, being in a, a an institution with forty other kids your own age. Um, that wasn't uh, a particularly loving environment, but um, you know, very institutionalised. But I, I can really see how those um, uh, life skills that we learned being in the institution have been um, critical for the ministries that we're involved in nowadays. And you were uh, raised in that orphanage to, to what age? And uh, and how did you? What, what did you do after you left the orphanage? <laughs> well, it it, it was it's, it was a really a great um, setup, Matt, because um, at sixteen they they boot you out of the orphanage, and um, but they find you a job and and uh, and a boarding house to to stay in. And they, I had a job in a circus when I first left. I decided that you know I needed to earn more money, so I set up a hot dog stand at a football stadium. Um, just leased the stand uh, and that was sort of the beginning of my entrepreneurial uh, career uh, within within a month I'd had another stand um, and another kid um, running it and within about three or four months you know I was, I was running at two different venues and and um, um, employing kids to uh, to run these hot dog stands so that was uh, the transition out of the institution really straight into the business um, arena and tell me, we're dying to know, what did you do at the circus? <laughs> oh, you know those clowns that they move their heads and you put the ping pong balls in? Yeah. I mean, you need, you need amazing skills to, uh, to, to be able to operate those, you know. And then you hand out the, the, teddy, the stuffed teddy bears on the, for the people who get the, the, uh, the right number of points. But I, you know, I wasn't um, really the guy that they needed. They needed somebody with uh, more skills than I. So that job didn't last long at all. So you were... Uh Hiring people to sell hot dogs for you, and yeah. uh, you ended up in the construction industry with a, with a multi million dollar construction uh, business. Tell us about how you that transition to there. I, I I moved from hot dogs, and then I bought into a hamburger bar, and then I bought into a fish and chip shop, and then I bought into a home cookery mm-hmm. bakery thing. I'm getting hungry hanging about all this, <laughs> <laughs> and then I moved into. Um, Biscuit manufacturing and then food production, um, food distribution, food 
food exporting. And then at 18, 18 years of age, um, decided that um, I needed to have a new persona. So I changed my name by deed poll at the, at the age of 18. The name I've got now wasn't the birth name that I had. Uh, because I wanted a whole new identity. Um, I wanted to bury the past and and focus on the future. For me, that was a very important point in my journey, being able to come to the stage where, you know, I want I want to be a new person, a different person. And as I talk to groups, um, it's, a, it's interesting how many people are, are envious that, that, you know, I could come to a, a point in my life where, you know, you actually change your name and take on a, a new persona. Um, a new identity, um, bury the past. Because I, so many people that I talk to, you know, Matt, they're screwed up because of their parents. And and for me, it's just such a blessing that I didn't have a lot of the garbage that happens in families. I don't, didn't, there was no sibling rivalry. <laughs> um, there were, there were um, you know, there was no divorce. There was no drugs. Um, there was no abuse in my family. Uh, my wife doesn't have any in-law problems. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's no will to contest, you know. That's an amazing, the amazing blessings. Mm. And, you know, most people are brought up, they don't realise, but they're brought up to be an extension of their parents, mm. either in, the, in their personality or their values or whatever it, whatever it is. You know, I, and I had the opportunity to decide my, for myself who I wanted to be, um, where I wanted to go, how I was going to get there. Um, and there was no parents to pick up the pieces, um, you know, if, if you crumpled. So, you know, I, I really think I had a brilliant start in life. Uh, and so at 25 years of age, I, I got married and met my wife. Um, and moved into the construction industry. Um, I figured, you know, mixing cakes, mixing concrete, what's the difference? Um, <laughs> can't be that <laughs> that hard. Um, and I, I actually took a job um, as a foreman on a building site. I'd never done any construction in my life. Um, managed to get a job and then ended up buying the guy out and taking over his contracts and then setting up some other additional construction companies and then some retail outlets that are related to the construction industry, joinery shops. Um, so that was the sort of the transition out of out of food into construction. And then you ended up at one stage uh, getting the idea in your head that you don't just want to give money away to the poor, you want to give them a, <coughs> a, a hand up, not just a hand out, uh, this whole microfinance principle. Tell yeah. us about how you, how you stumbled into that. Well, it was interesting that the trigger for that was... Um, uh, a man who, um, like yourself, was very famous in media. Um, <laughs> oh, stop it! Really, <laughs> um, you know, a guy who single-handedly changed the the face of cricket by introducing one-day stuff and um, quite a media magnet. Um, and in the when I was in the construction industry, we were renovating his house. One day, I was I was bathing my two kids, who were about two and three at the time, at about six o'clock at night, and. The phone rings, and on the end of the line is this, uh, this gentleman, and he says, "Are you the effing builder?" <laughs> uh, which I had to admit to. Um, and then, um, you know, so he says, uh, "He says, we'll get you, blah blah, over here." Yeah. <laughs> um, he says, "I'm having a cocktail party tonight, and the catch on the cocktail cabinet that you built won't shut." And uh, he was very, very angry that um, 
he was having these important guests and uh, uh, couldn't shut his cocktail cabinet. Mm. So that sort of set me off uh, thinking it has about, you know, here's this guy that has power over me, you know. And uh, firstly, it's not biblical that people have power over you. So um, it, it grated on me a bit. And, I, you know, just the indignation that this guy could dictate to me how I relate to my family, my kids. When I'm trying to have quality time with my family, then this important um, character decides that, you know, his cocktail catch is more important. So that sort of triggered triggered me off to think about, you know, is, that's really not the reason why God put me on the planet, you know, to run after the, the rich and famous. So you know, it became a time of, of soul-searching, really, thinking, well, you know, what, is, what is your destiny? You know, why are you here? Um, you know, what are your gifts and your talents and, and how are they being used for the kingdom? That happened just slightly in 1973, just before Cyclone Tracy. So... When Cyclone Tracy hit, I put together some tradesmen and we went up there and helped uh, put Darwin back together. And then ended up staying there for 18 months and ran my businesses out of Darwin. Slowly phased out of the businesses and endowed a foundation, um, which ended up giving birth to Opportunity International. But after 18 months in Darwin, we then went across to Indonesia. There was an earthquake there, so took our two daughters, um, who were four and five at the time, and lived in a remote village. Um, pretty much a jungle, 14-kilometre walk, in, and uh, spent the next three years um, helping a, put a village back together. And that's really the birth of this whole concept of, of microfinance. Um, started in that village where um, I was talking to one of the guys that, were, that was working with me on one of the projects. We were building a dam, and um, he was telling me how his, his wife was pregnant with their third child. And that that child was going to inherit uh, the legacy he was going to leave for his child was three generations of debt, and that his first two kids, uh, one was six and no, one was seven and one was nine, and they were already working for the loan shark, one in a carpet factory, one in a cigarette factory, and so he had lost his kids because of the debt that he had incurred just um, having to borrow from the loan shark all the time. So we talked about it, and, and we said, and, and I said, well, you know, why don't you borrow some money to set up a business? He said, I can't, I'm, you know, already in debt um, over my head. So I said, well, why don't I you know, loan you the money personally? And so he decided that he, his, uh, his wife was very good at sewing, so that we'd, I'd loan him $100, and he'd buy a sewing machine, and she would make garments, and she, he'd take them out to the markets and try and sell them. So that was the beginning of, of, of micro-enterprise. He, you know, within six months, he paid back the loan and borrowed more and uh, for another sewing machine. And then other people, of course, once the news got out that uh, there was some idiot in the village who was <laughs> loaning out money at a reasonable rate of interest, that, um, the, you know, the idea started to get momentum and so that was like 20, 28, 29 years ago that first loan and I think this year we'll be making about 1.4 million loans in 29 countries around the world That is just amazing, you just can't imagine how much that's impacting those countries and those those families hmm. uh, Is it something like 96, 97% of those loans get repaid? It is about yeah, close to 97 a little bit more than 97, it depends which country we're in but on an average it's about 97% of those loans get repaid mm. you know each each loan creates a job for someone and each 
each job impacts five, a family of five people. Manchester University did a study for us, an uh, independent study, and they said that the knock-on effect for every job we create impacts 13 people. It's, it's, it's not impossible that we're, you know, we're touching the lives of you know, 20 to 25 million people a year through the, the, this just small, simple loans, you know, $200, $250 loans. Uh, tell us about your faith in Jesus. W- when did you become a Christian, and how does that influence what you do now? Well, I, I suspect my Christian walk has been like a lot of people. The boys' home that I was brought up in was, was an Anglican boys' home. So um, we were doused in religious talk and, and ceremony. And uh, w- when I left the boys' home at um, 16, I, you know, I, basically I, I parked my faith. You know, I just put my head down and, and got on with um, setting up businesses and making money. Even though I was aware that, you know, that I had God as a father um, and that he had a purpose for me and, um, and was concerned about, about me as, as an individual, you know, I still parked my, my faith journey. And it wasn't until really until I met my wife at a youth group at church that my faith was renewed. Um, so at the age of 25, really, I um, came back into a more realistic relationship with Jesus, and uh, so it's you know sort of developed from there. And um, you know I still struggle with it, um, but you know my my salvation is assured. And I think one of the things that I've uh, really come to appreciate is that there's there's nothing that I can do, nothing that I can screw up on, that isn't redeemable. You know, the, every every time I screw up, um, it's just another opportunity to draw closer to Jesus. I find that a lot of Christians, you know, w- w- get paranoid once they make a mistake. You know, they they shrink back and they don't because they don't want to make another mistake. Whereas, you know, my my theory is that you you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take in life, um, and some of us don't take any shots because we're so risk adverse. Um, and, I, and I personally believe that, you know, we ought to be taking more risks for Jesus. Um, and sometimes we're going to get it wrong. Uh, but for me, that's the exciting part of the journey: is that um, some things work and some things don't work. Uh, and the things that work are, are fantastic, you know, and, and exciting, and you see tremendous um, growth in people. Um, but. You know, if you stay in a little cocoon, your little re- religious cocoon, and don't take a risk, yeah, life can be pretty boring. So, my yeah, my my sort of faith journey at the moment is that God gets me in places where I'm, I'm out of my comfort zone. You know, for example, we have a program in North Korea, and you know, I've I've never had to work in a socialist communist um, environment before. I'm totally out of my depth, um, but it's exhilarating because. You see God at work, you know, you see God doing things that you wouldn't have done it that way. But, you know, God God has a purpose and, and a reason for things happening the way they do. You, you Sometimes you don't even know what the goal is or what the outcomes are supposed to be, but you have to make that step in faith. It's just like surfing, you know, if you stand at the edge of the beach and only get your ankles wet, <laughs> you're never going to enjoy the thrill <laughs> of the wave. You, yeah. know, you really got to get out of your depth. You uh, obviously have seen this incredible success of Opportunity International in many different countries around the world. How can people support? Uh, like, it's a not-for-profit organisation, so obviously people could donate, uh, people could uh, pray for the organisation. 
uh, I know there's friends at my church that uh, volunteer and go on trips. How else could people support OI? Opportunity International. I shouldn't yeah. call it OI. That's that's inside talk. <laughs> How can people support? What what can people do? Well, obviously, the, the ways that you've suggested mm. are, um, are critical. Mm. Um, financial support and, and prayer support. Uh, we also have a, a mentoring-type program for people who um, have got the time to actually go over and work with some of our entrepreneurs. The types of people that we like to support are people that are going to come back for a repeat loan and may have four or five cycles of loans. When their their loan gets to maybe $1,000, we try to connect them to mainstream banking. In some instances, we even guarantee them at the bank uh, so that they they now have an alternate stream of finance, formal finance, instead of the informal sector. Um, and these, these entrepreneurs um, need coaching and support. So we, we have a program of, of mentoring where people go over and walk alongside these people uh, on a regular basis, not just a one shot. They'll walk with them for three or four years, meeting with them three or four times a year, uh, helping them to grow their enterprise. Uh, there, th- we have a number of financial products. It's not just um, giving loans. Um, we have insurance products for people. Uh, we have housing loans. We have clean water programs um, that are entrepreneurial, that are enterprise-driven. So, I mean, it does, there's, there's a surprising array of expertise out there in the, in the world, particularly in the Christian arena, of people that have, that have skills that um, they don't really know what to do with them. So, I mean, if they want to contact us, we're, you know, we're happy to see if we can make a connect with our organization or maybe there's other, other organization, Christian ministries that we also relate to um, you know, that... Uh, that may be useful. I mean, we 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 have programs in rural areas. So if there are people that are agriculturists, um, you know, they've got expertise that they might be able to bring to our clients in those areas. Urban slums, a lot of lot of work in those areas. People may be good at marketing. They have they have those skills and gifts. It's best just for people to give us a call, mm. um, and we'll see how we can plug them in mm. uh, and connect them to the Opportunity Family. So, David, there might be people listening that uh, you know perhaps don't have a relationship with God and, and are away from God at the moment. Uh, would you speak to those listeners and share with them how they could connect with God? Yeah, well, I, I first, I think the first thing is that you just admit and confess your your vulnerability, you know, um, and your need. I mean, um, and until you recognise that you have you have a need, um, it's pretty hard to start a journey with with your Creator. So I think you know you you have to say to you know God look I'm you know I'm a mess um, you know I need you to come into my life and and take over um, you know I need you to sort me out because you know I'm I'm screwing it up you know I, I I think it's important not to be religious about it just you know I mean just confess your vulnerability um, and your need um, and God will bring the people around you. Um, that that will provide the support and will be able to speak into your life about how you can have meaning, um, understand you know what your purpose is and your destiny is, um, and and have a, a living relationship with with your Creator. But because you're not going to be able to do it on your own, so you you just have to connect with other other believers um, who can walk alongside you. 
Well, I reckon uh, you're an inspirational story. I reckon you're a history maker. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, once again, if people would like more information, they can go to www.opportunity.org.au. That brings us to the end of this week's show. You can listen to this interview again or any of our other interviews. Simply go to historymakersradio.com. Thanks for joining us. History Makers.